Let's go to Romans chapter number 6. Romans chapter number 6, and many of you, of course, uh, may remember the conference, and Romans 6 was a passage that Brother Shaul uh, and uh, myself uh, preached on because we felt it was very important dealing with identity to understand the truth of reckoning of who we are in Christ. In this passage, it deals with being dead to sin in Christ, alive unto God in Christ, identified with His death, burial, and resurrection. And, of course, I'm not going to re-preach that, but I'd like to go to the second half of the chapter, which I was only able to draw just a few moments of preaching from that night because most of it was from the first half of the chapter. But I'd like to do um, justice to the second half and just spend a little bit of time dealing with this. Also is one that kind of uh, presents a warning to us because we, we're building on the great truth that in Christ we're dead to sin, alive unto God, that needs to be constantly reckoned to be so and then acted upon, yielding our members, presenting our members uh, in that light of the truth that we're dead to sin, alive unto God. And uh, there's a second question that is asked, there's a statement that a second question is asked, and the second half of the chapter which launches into a very important truth, which we'll spend a little bit of time uh, trying to uh, get some practical application about. Now, I know these are unusual days, and we talked about that yesterday, and the importance of walking by faith, and during this time of trial, trusting God when we can't see the the uh, end from the beginning, and understanding all that's going on, and learning to default, to counting it all joy, and uh, to uh, uh, letting our patience have its perfect work, and making an active choice to trust God in the frying pan. So we talked about that yesterday, and so today we'll uh, talk about uh, just going a little bit different direction, and perhaps uh, the negative side of what happens when we, we make poor choices. And so let's go to verse number 14, and there's an important statement made here, and uh, then there's a question asked based on it. And, of course, it's a question that is not a good question. And Paul answers it for us in the balance of the chapter. But verse number 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. And that's a wonderful truth. In other words, sin's not your boss. Sin is not going to rule you. Sin does not have to be your master any longer. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? For you're not under the law, but under grace. Now, what does that mean? Well, I think it's important for us to understand that... Uh, we're not under the law. Why? Because the law, several things, but I want us to understand when, we, when we, uh, we were saved, we were put into Christ, we died. And when we died, we died to the law, which we were married to. Romans 7 is going to teach here just a few verses. And that marriage was broken with the death, our identification with the death of Christ so that we could be married to Christ. Okay, so that was an important death to take place. Now, what's the problem? Well, we know the law is holy, just, and right. There's nothing wrong with the law, Romans 7 tells us. But what's the problem? Well, the law can only condemn us, and the law cannot enable us. See, that's all the law can do is it condemns. In fact, now the law not only condemns, it provokes. So the law condemns you when you do wrong, but before you ever are condemned, it provokes you to do wrong. Now, I know that sounds strange, but what I mean by that is our... The problem is not the law. The problem is us, as Romans 7 clearly articulates. But the point would be like this, and if you were to walk by one of the hallways here and see a sign that says, wet paint, do not touch, I don't care who you are, there's going to be something in your heart that's going to want to touch the wall. Now, it's strange, isn't it? You walk by that wall, who knows how many days, and never even think about touching it. But the moment there's a sign that says, wet paint, do not touch, you're looking at the wall and say, I know it's dry. It's got to be dry. Uh, it's no problem. I can touch the wall. And you want to touch the wall. Isn't that strange? 
You've walked by these walls a million times. You don't care about touching the wall. But the moment something tells you don't do it, you want to do it. It's kind of like walking through a nice neighborhood. And, and there's a, articula, uh, a lawn that is just um, a meticulous, that's the word, not articulate, but anyway, meticulous, uh, uh, that's uh, just manicured well, and you're walking down the street, and what do you want to do? Big, huge sign, you know? Please keep off the grass. And so you're walking by, here's what you want to do. You want to come touch the grass and keep walking. Just put your foot on the grass, just, uh, why? Why do we want to do that? You walk down that sidewalk, uh, and maybe the sign's not there. You don't even think about stepping on the grass. But the moment it tells you not to do it, there's something inside of us that wants to do it. So the law not only uh, condemns us when we do wrong, it certainly provokes us to do wrong. We understand that. And again, the problem's not the law. Romans 7 tells us that the problem's right here. But nonetheless, the Bible's telling us here that um, uh, we're not under the law. It'll be articulated why in Romans 7, but it tells us we're not under the law, but we're under grace, which is a wonderful truth. And uh, of course, grace enables us Grace gives us what we uh, could in no way earn. It's a wonderful thing. But then the question is asked in verse number uh, 15. Now, because you're a college audience, I'm going to point out something that I think is important. I've gone through Romans 6 and 7, and I have used a color pencil to pencil the, the parts that are, are third person, the parts are second person, and the parts are first person. And it's very interesting, pretty much in verse number 11 on through the end of the chapter, he uses second person. But right here in the first verse, he moves to first person. He includes himself in the very first question here. And then he goes back to second person to address them. It's kind of interesting. But he says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? So he now turns it into a question because unfortunately some people were making that conclusion. Well, we're not under the law anymore. It doesn't condemn us. We're saved on our way to heaven. And so what's the big deal? So let's sin. We're not under the law. We're under grace. And he makes a very important point that we all need to understand. Now he turns it out of first person. He doesn't include himself anymore. He turns to them and uh, he exhorts them in verse number 16. This is kind of where we're going to go here. But I just want to say a couple of things here before I go to verse number 16 to help us understand He's really prov providing us four different scenarios, okay? The first scenario is found, if I could uh, go down here uh, to verse number 20. It says, for when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. In other words, before you were saved, you were free from righteousness. Now, most of us probably are listening, got saved at a younger year, uh, and we may not remember a whole lot about our unsaved days. Uh, such would be the case with myself. I don't remember those days like maybe some of you that got slaved later, remember when you were um, free from righteousness. And what that means is you were such a servant to sin, you had to sin. And uh, when you sinned, there really was probably a little conscience about it. You, you had no other master that was vying for your allegiance. For those of, uh, of us that are saved know the moment you get saved, um, when we sin, you know what happens? Our new master, righteousness, begins to deal with us. We're not free from righteousness. If you're saved, you are not free from righteousness. Righteousness keeps bugging you, if I could put it that way, when you don't do right. Your conscience is nagging you. Uh, and the Spirit of God's dealing with you. Your new master won't let you off the hook. You're no longer free from righteousness. But before you were saved, you were. You were free from righteousness. And everything sin told you to do, you did. That's why the Bible says the plowing of the wicked is sin. Everything a lost man does is sinful. Why? Because it's all absolutely about self. It's selfish to the core. Even when they are moral and upright, 
their motives are mixed, and God looks at it as sin. Okay, they're completely in bondage to sin, they're free from righteousness. But if you look at back at verse 17, it tells us what happens when you got saved. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free for sin, you became servants of righteousness. So now that we're saved, we're over here, and righteousness is our new master, and we're no longer under the old master of sin. And my wife uses this in children's meetings. Some of you that have helped her with that know she has the master of righteousness and the master of sin, trying to illustrate what I'm trying to show you. So if I could put this, when you were lost, you listened to sin, and righteousness really had no, no bearing over you. It really didn't bother you. You were free from righteousness. But when you got saved, you moved masters. Now your new master is righteousness, and your old master, sin, you're not in bondage to him anymore. Now, the thing you need to understand is your old master keeps trying to boss you around. Have you ever noticed after you're saved, Satan still tries, sin still tries you to get you to sin? He's not your master, but he will try to get you to think you have to obey him. And what a foolish thing is, as we learned in Romans chapter 6 in the first time, when we go back to our old master, when God says, no, you're dead to that old master. He's not your boss anymore. He's not your master anymore. So what a tragedy when a believer who has uh, got a new master now goes back to his old master. That's the third scenario. As a believer, when you go back to your old master and you forsake your new master, wow, that's a bad deal, isn't it? And, uh, of course, the challenge of the, the, the text here as a believer is don't do that. Go back to your new master, righteousness, and that's, of course, the force of the chapter. Now, several things in the chapter will point, be pointed out. When you're under the uh, servants of sin, there's death. Now, obviously, if you're lost, that death includes hell. The wages of sin is death, that famous verse, verse 23. But I believe the answer simply would also be when we as believers are listening to the old master's sin, you know what happens? Deadness. We may not die and go to hell, but there's spiritual deadness in our heart right now. For some of you, undoubtedly, that are listening to the old master of sin, there's a deadness in your heart. That's why we need revival. Revival is returning to the old master and trusting him and, uh, and obeying him through the grace. And that's where revival takes place, life. There's life there. Okay, but the old master is death and deadness. If you're saved, it may not mean hell, but it means spiritual deadness now. And uh, that's what verse 21 is saying. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you now are ashamed? He's talking to those people who've now gone back to listen to the old master. Friend of those things is death. Why are you listening to the old master? You had no good fruit over there. It just brought you deadness. And it was going to put you in hell. But now it brings you spiritual deadness. So why are you here listening to your old boss? See, so that's what the whole passage is dealing with. Why have you left your new master and gone to your old master? Because the old master was a pretty bad master. Brought you death. You had no fruit. The things you, the fruit you did have, uh, were, you're now ashamed of that fruit, and uh, you don't have any good fruit, etc. So um, uh, that's the, the gist of the passage. So look, if you would please, that verse 22 puts it all in synopsis. But now, being made free from sin, become servants to God. You have your fruit unto holiness. That's the new master. You got a good fruit that you're not ashamed of. Holiness, which is His holiness, uh, fleshed out through our dependent obedience, and the end is everlasting life. And that everlasting life, friend, can happen now. You've come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. So eternal life is not just in the future. You can have eternal life now, and that's the abundant life. So in a sense, verse 23, though I'm, I'm not 
marking, uh, not uh, diminishing the fact it can be used in a gospel context, it can also be used in a sanctification context. The wages of sin is death. You and I listen to the old master, there's deadness. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're over here with the new master, then there's life, abundant life. There's obviously going to be eternal life uh, that's in the future, but there's eternal life now. There's, there's in other words, there's the, the life of Christ now, which is eternal life. It's abundant, etc. So uh, you kind of get the idea. So here's the whole point. Uh, for everyone out there, right now as a believer, we're certainly been delivered from the old master. If you're lost, and I hope nobody is, but maybe you've got a brother or sister or somebody listening, your boss is, is sin, and you have no in, righteousness has no power over you. You're free from righteousness. In other words, you can listen to the, the boss sin, and you're content to do so, and you're not bothered by it, and you can go out and sin and do whatever, and there's, it's, you, can't, you can do what a, a saved man can't do. But then, if you're saved, you're over here, you got a new boss, righteousness. But once you're saved, tragically, this passage is dealing with this, you can start listening to the old boss, and there's bad consequences. You go back to the fruit which brought shame, and uh, you're now ashamed of that, and there's a deadness coming to your Christian life, and uh, that's a sad thing. Or you can go back to the new master, righteousness, and you have your fruit now, which is holiness. Again, supernatural enablement, his righteousness being fleshed out through our dependent obedience, and have abundant life. So you say, what's that all about? Okay, I wanted to explain it. Uh, you got two masters over here, and if you're saved, your, your new master is your master. And you'll never be free from him, because even when you listen to your old master, he's bugging you. He's over you telling you to do right. And you know it. You cannot live like a lost man. It's impossible because your new master is not going to let you off the hook. He's going to keep talking to you. Okay, now that brings us to verse 16. Kind of setting it up here for verse number 16. Now notice what it says in verse number 16. This is now uh, uh, answering the question, shall we, uh, shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey... His servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death. Okay, saved person, you can listen to sin, but they'll have deadness. You'll need revival. Or of obedience, of course, which uh, goes unto righteousness. And that's not our righteousness, not having our own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness, which is of God by faith. It's His righteousness that's being fleshed out through our dependent obedience. It's the 0-100 life. Okay, so what's my point? Okay, the whole point of the message, I've set this up. Hopefully you tracked with me. I get worried about you out there. Don't look at that email right now that just popped up. Okay, keep right plugged in. Okay, don't do that. Hang with me. Hopefully you never check email during a service, okay? And uh, I'm, I'm preaching to you here. Okay, so here it is. Uh, it's the word obey. Now, most of you know the word obey simply means to hear under to hear under. The thing I want you to understand about obedience is obedience starts with your ears. It starts with your ears. The question is, if you obey sin, it's because you started listening to sin. And if you obey righteousness, it's became because you started obeying righteousness. Now, let me use the, the example of this. And it's, this is why children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Why is children obeying their parents such a big deal? Because it's training you to listen to God. 
See, it's like this. You won't obey your parents if you're not listening to them. Some of you have learned to tune your parents out. Now, some of your parents have let you do that. And if mom and dad is sitting there, I'm not trying to be unkind, but in our day, because of permissivism, because they, some of you got spooked by Spock there in the 60s or whatever, uh, you uh, uh, may not even realize that. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, I'm not talking about the guy with pointy ears on Star Trek. But anyway, uh, Benjamin Spock's his name. You can look him up, okay? He didn't help us. Uh, but the point is... Um, Sometimes parents let kids not listen. Uh, back when I was a kid growing up, there was a commercial on the radio, and it was kind of a real cool commercial because there was a, there was a certain line of it I've never forgotten. And here's what it was. Here's what it was. When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. Wow, isn't that pretty cool? I hope you say when Dr. Jim speaks, people listen, okay? Because if you're not listening out there, okay, we got a problem. Okay, but anyway. Uh, but the, the issue is simply this. Uh, E.F. Hutton had nothing to my dad. Uh, pastor can tell you, you can ask any of my siblings, when my dad spoke, we listened. Now, you please have to uh, understand, it wasn't just fear, though probably in the early days it was more fear than it was love. But as time went on, I listened to him because I loved him and I respected him. But my point was, I learned when my dad spoke, I'm being honest with you, everything else tuned out. I tuned into my dad and I listened to what he said, and if there was something he asked me to do, I would probably, before he started stop speaking, I'd be trying to obey. I remember when I was in my 30s with my dad at a preacher's conference, and my dad just looked at me and said, Jim, could you give me a cup of coffee? He didn't feel well, and, uh, and he didn't have the energy he once had. He had congestive heart failure, which I think is the same thing that took the life of George Whitfield, but they believe now. But, but anyway, all that aside, he... Um, he might ask me, uh, Jim, could you just real kindly say, could you give me a cup of coffee? Before the word coffee was finished, I was up. And I was running, I'd love to, I wanted to give him a cup of coffee. And I'd love to do anything I could for my dad because uh, I loved him. If you love me, keep my commandments. And because I loved him, I listened to him. And whatever he'd say, I, I would take it all in, I'd listen intently, and then I would immediately obey. Now that's the idea. That's why it's so important to learn to listen to your parents. Because if, if you, and this is why parents, if you're listening, it's important for you to train your kids to listen to you because if they listen to you, good chance to listen to God. <laughs> See? See, obedience starts right here. The reason some of you struggle in obeying God is because you struggle in obeying your parents. What I mean is your ears aren't tuned to your parents. Some of you have learned to tune them out. So when they speak, you're not listening. And they might have to say something two or three times before you tune in. I hope, young people, you have learned to listen to your authority. When authority speaks, boom, you tune in, you listen. That's where obedience starts. It starts with your ears. And unfortunately, if you're not careful, you're going to let the old boss start talking to you. Now, let's just talk about that for a few minutes. How does the old boss talk to us? Well, there's a lot of things, ways he can talk to us. One of the things he can talk to us through is through old habits. Some of you that have gone through the Conqueror series are familiar with it. Uh, Ted Roberts deals with the limbiatic part of the brain. I don't understand at all. All I know basically is this. There are certain triggers that cause people to go down the same path they always have. There's many of We are creatures of habit. It just is part of the way we are. But there's certain things that trigger us that we, we automatically, because our brain has a well-worn path. And, and I guess a brain is kind of like um, kind of like life. Back when I was a kid, we moved my fourth grade year. After my fourth grade summer, we moved to the, the suburbs of Chicago for my fifth grade year. And we moved right next to a cornfield. And um, every day, this was the big thing in the, in the 70s, kids out in the suburbs had mini bikes or motorbikes. I never had one, but they did. And motorbikes, mini bikes, whatever. 
And you'd hear all Saturday long, you'd hear out there in that cornfield, that's pretty good, isn't it? Okay, but anyway, uh, they'd be zipping along. And you always knew where they were going. You know why? Because there's no corn. And they were well-worn paths, and no corn could grow. And there were many bike paths all over that cornfield. <laughs> and uh, because they were well-worn, that's how your brain is. So when you have a sinful habit in your life, there's a well-worn path. And there's triggers often that cause you to go down that path. Uh, for some that get into all kinds of addictive behavior, it can be some, uh, could be a scent. It could be a, a location. Uh, it could be a, a sound, the click of a door shutting and knowing they're all alone or the, the, the whirling of a computer coming on. And these are real things that, that, uh, that happen as I've done reading, the things that trigger people to go down the wrong path. So Satan uses sinful habits of the past to speak to us. To try to get us to come back, say, hey, you remember. Trying to get us to come back to that sinful behavior, which we, in a certain sense, we are ashamed of. And we know its fruit was not good fruit, and it brought a deadness into our hearts spiritually, even if we did it as a believer. So certainly he speaks to us through bad habits of the past, but he also speaks to us through, uh, so I would call that the flesh. He speaks to us through the flesh, bad habits of the past, places where we've given into them in our flesh in the past, but also through the world. Now, one of the dangers of what you've been through the last few weeks is this. One of the great uh, avenues for Satan to get to us through the world is through media. And if we're not careful in our media choices, we don't even realize that Satan is selling us his goods through inappropriate media. It can be movies, it can be video clips, it can be all kinds of media. It can just be thumbing through uh, news feeds, and I'm not against news. I know myself, I've got to be very careful about that, and you have to be very careful about just thumbing through news feeds because there can be things come up that are temptations. They're the voice of Satan. Satan speaks to us. He's trying to woo us in. So certainly media and what we, the, we allow the world to influence us is very important. We're very careful about that. Certain things we can't help, just going out in, in culture, and we've got to be careful where we go, but sometimes if we're even careful, we come across temptations from the world. But the point is, we need to be very careful not to inadvertently uh, put us in a place where there's just going to be a lot of temptation from the world. Wrong philosophies, wrong thinking. But Satan, Satan uses those two venues, the world and the flesh, no doubt about it, to tempt us, that old, the master of sin trying to get us to back. So I hope you're being careful, friend. I really do. I hope you're being careful. I know for some of you, media is just there all the time now. And it uh, can be a great temptation. We all have to be careful about the matters at hand. And I really am encouraging you. And I'm encouraging you, like even if you're having church via live stream, be careful not to, to just, you know, uh, something comes up. Like I said, an email pops up, you look at it. I would encourage you not to do that. Just say, no, you're during chapel, during class, I'm not, and I'm not looking at those things. And, uh, but anyway, all that aside, so Satan is, 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 is in sin is constantly trying to get us, even as believers over here, we're, we're righteousness is our new master. He wants us over here. And we all know that dynamic. And Romans 6, the last part, I believe, is helping us with this. And there's so much more we could say here. But, okay, let's go over here to the, the, the good side. How does righteousness talk to us? How does our new master, uh, uh, obedience uh, to righteousness. How, how, does, how does that speak to us? Well, there's two venues. We know this, and this is what I want to just spend a few moments on. First of all, it speaks to us through the Word of God. Now, I want you just to put a finger right here in Romans 6, and I uh, want you to go over to uh, uh, Psalm 119, to the, uh, the second, uh, to the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet there. And, of course, the whole Psalm 119 is a theology of the Word of God. It's a tremendous passage of Scripture. And I know for many of you, 
Um, uh, there's been verses out of Psalm 119 that have spoken to your heart, but God speaks to us through His Word. Let me just show you a few things here. Uh, this was actually my Bible reading today, and so it uh, kind of brought it to me. But it says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? <laughs> so it's talking about purity here and cleansing. And let me just encourage you, gang, there is power in the Word of God. The Bible tells us that it is the Word of God's plea, uh, clean, pure. Uh, I believe it's uh, Proverbs 30 and verse 5. Every word of God is pure. John 15, 3. Now are you clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. Ephesians 5, verse 26. That you might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word. There, talking about the bride. Okay, so there's cleansing power in the word. So God, uh, it, it, let me just encourage you to, to recognize you're not going to be able to do right without the word of God. Because that's how God speaks to us. He speaks to us through His Word. And that's how the, the new master speaks to us. He shows us what is right, what is true. And that's why the Bible tells us here, how's the young man going to cleanse his way in such a dirty, working world? Well, it's going to be the Word. Now, there's several things I see in this passage, and I'm just going to, uh, you know, just run through them quickly. For time's sake, you could preach a whole message out of this, but just time's sake, I want you to see a few things. Of course, verse 10, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. It's got to be God, I want to do what you want me to do. I want you. With my whole heart have I sought thee. The key is wanting God more than anything else. Not wanting to wander. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Of course, you do, you cannot, how do I say this? You cannot meditate on a passage you don't know. So it is important to memorize. Now, memorizing isn't everything, but it is important. You've got to hide God's Word in your heart. And, uh, of course, I, I would put it this way. Memorizing it is putting it in your head. Meditating it is putting it in your heart. But it's got to start with uh, embracing it. And I don't know. I know with school and, and a lot of times it might be hard to put a lot of God's Word in your heart, but this might be a time to at least start memorizing God's Word in some, some measure. Begin to put it in your heart. So that it becomes a part, of, a part of the way you think. And that's the Bible says, so you won't sin against it. He speaks to you through His Word. Now, there's several truths here. It says, blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. So it's saying, Lord, it's putting God's Word in your heart. And then asking God to teach you. Teach me what your Word, what it means. Illumine. This is what we call illumination. The Spirit of God is our teacher. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I said, somebody has said that if you learn a truth, tell it to three people and you'll keep it. Have you done that? Have you, when you get a truth that touches your heart, tell it to three people. Say, hey, I learned something today. i got to tell you about it. And you have a far greater chance of keeping that truth. So it's important when we get taught to declare it. Okay. And then uh, I've rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. In other words, get excited about it. Just like you'd get excited if somebody gave you a thousand bucks. Some of you'd be pumped. Wow, that'd be excited. You'd tell everybody. Well, actually, God says my word and the truth of it is far more important than monetary. Truth, get excited about it. Rejoice in it. So when you tell people, uh, hopefully you'll tell them with great excitement, rejoicing in the way of His testimonies. God's ways are not our ways. They're higher than our ways. Rejoice in it. Meditate in thy precepts. Here it is where you begin to think about it. And the Bible says when you think about it, you'll respect His ways and have respect unto thy ways. God's ways are higher than our ways. They're counterintuitive. You've heard us talk about this many times. God says, humble yourself on the sight of the Lord. He'll lift you up. The way to go up is to go down. Wow, that's not the way the world operates. God says when you meditate on that and get excited about that, you'll respect it. You'll honor it. It'll be valuable to you. So meditate is, meditate would be like uh, for those of you who have ever played basketball or some sport on a serious level and you've got to learn a playbook. 
You don't just memorize the playbook, you think about it. You run through those plays in your mind until it becomes second nature. For those of you in recitals having to play a number, you're not just trying to memorize the notes, you're trying to meditate on it so it's second nature. Now, I can't understand that because I'm not a musician. I have uh, a few in the house, but I'm certainly not one. And, uh, but that's what you have to do if you're going to perform a, a, a piece that's going to just come flowing out of you. It's got to become second nature, so you don't even have to think about it. They say one of the dangers of people in special forces is that um, uh, they can kill you without even thinking about it. <laughs> so you never, uh, never tap a blue uh, a, a Navy SEAL on the back. Don't, don't tap him on the back. It might be the last thing you do on planet Earth, okay? Uh, speak to him about five yards away, okay, so he doesn't kill you before he thinks about it. See, why do those guys do that? They train them to react. It saves their life. And many times saves their life. Just the training to react before you really even think. That's meditation. That's listening to the right master. Meditating on what he says so it becomes second nature. And of course, delighting yourself in his statutes, not forgetting thy word. All of this is a part of it. So let's go back there to one final thought. Uh, so obviously, if we're going to listen to the right master, we have to be men and women of the book. And not just reading it, but getting it in here. And a whole message can be preached on that, but for time's sake, we'll, we'll move to the next. But another way God speaks to us, and we hear a lot about that here, so I won't say a lot about it, is obviously through His Spirit. But the Word and the Spirit go together. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. They go together. It's not one against the other. They're both important. Both are needed. We need the illuminator, and we need the illumination of the Word. But the Spirit of God... Uh, it's very important for us. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if, if you've uh, just been going through life and the Spirit of God begins to deal with you about something that may in and of itself not be wrong for every Christian, but for you it's not helpful. You ever had that happen? Sure you have. God says, you know, it doesn't help you. When you get on your computer and do this and this, and that doesn't help you in your Christian life. You, you've reached a point where you can't do that anymore. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Now, how do you know that? Well, the Spirit of God tells you. That's not helping you spiritually. That's grieving me. Uh, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. For some in this room, there are certain things you can't do that others can do because of certain bad decisions in the past. It opens you up for to make provision for the flesh. So God does make different applications because we all have different inclinations. We have different histories. Some things are wrong for all of us. That's clear. But some things God says others may, but you can't. That's not wrong, friends. The Spirit of God, the Master of Righteousness, uh, the Spirit of that uh, Righteousness of Christ, He's going to come along and say, nope, don't do that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, and one of the things I believe the Spirit of God does, and I'm going to conclude with this, is to, um, to keep us along as He gives us a calling. If we're going to use Old Testament imagery, we might call it a dream. He gives you a dream. The Spirit of God gives you some kind of gifting and calling that uniquely fits you to do something for Him. That is very essential from keeping you away from the wrong master. It really is. Now think about Joseph. He had three things that, that he weathered because of his dream. Now what was his dream? God said, I've called you to do something, Joseph. I've called you to rule. He didn't understand everything about it. We look back and realize that there would be no nation of Israel without Joseph from the human perspective. God called him to rule, and his brothers were going to bow down before him. Even his, his father bowed down before him. I mean, it was a, a quite of a unique thing there. And, and so the thing I want you to see here, friends, is that um, God gave Joseph a dream, and there's three things that happened that I don't think Joseph would have made it without the dream. Number one, he was wronged. He was wronged. He didn't get bitter. I won't go into why. It's clear he didn't. 
Uh, but he was deeply wronged. You will weather getting wronged if you have a call on your life. You realize, you know, it's not worth getting bitter over this. God's called me to do something bigger than that. I can't let those people derail me even though they didn't do right. Every pastor on planet earth will be wronged. Every missionary, every evangelist will be wronged. You go into full-time Christian work, you go into any kind of Christian work, I can promise you this, you will be wronged. Read the Pauline epistles and you will read of Paul being wronged. You will sometimes even be wronged by your own converts. You will be wronged. And what gets you through the wrongs is God's call on your life, the dream, the Holy Spirit of God giving you a sense. I've called you for something bigger than this. Don't demean to getting bitter or getting even. There's something else that Joseph weathered, and that is moral temptation. We all know about Potiphar's wife. Remember he said, you know, how can I sin and do this great wickedness against God? See, he understood that God had called him to something way bigger and there was no way he could trade that for a few fleeting moments of, of sinful pleasure. Friends, you'll be able to keep away from the master of sin, even his greatest temptations, if you understand you're not willing to exchange your calling and your dream for sinful pleasure. And for some of you, you haven't got a hold of that yet. And I will tell you, friend, there's nothing, there is nothing worth trading God's call on your life for. Nothing. Giving away the dream for it. Joseph wasn't willing to give away his dream for Potiphar's wife. And, and that will help some of you young men in the arena of moral temptation, particularly with the pornogra pornographic temptations of today and the other issues that come there. You will find that, that if the dream, God wants to use the dream to keep you away from it. It's not worth it. It's not worth exchanging that for the dream. God wants the, I want the full measure of what God's call is on my life. So he was able to weather that. And the third thing he was able to weather was disappointment. Because when God sent the butler and the baker, he knew in his heart, that butler's going to get me out of here. He went to the butler, told him his whole thing, figured the butler would speak to Pharaoh. And the Bible says the butler forgot him for two years. But then the butler did remember him. But he had two years of what he could have been disappointment. But he weathered it. You know why? He had a dream. God told him, you're going to rule. Don't worry about it. You're going to rule. Listen, friends, don't forsake that dream. That dream is the Spirit of God over here saying, Trust me. Obey me. Don't cave in to the old, the old master who's going to get you to doubt, who's going to get you to get bitter, who's going to get you to, to, to doubt God like we talked about yesterday. And don't do that. So, friends, uh, in these days, let me encourage you to understand that uh, really obedience begins with your ears. So the question is, which master are you listening to? You listening to the old master, sin? Made some bad choices listening to him, doing some things, wasting some time, whatever, going down some pathways that you haven't gone down for a while because they're the temptation. That maybe the pathway was starting to get a little weeded over, but Satan used that temptation to get you back. I don't know. But I'm telling you, friend, the, the master of righteousness is the master over here that um, uh, the Word of God and the Spirit of God, that's how he speaks to us. And I want to encourage you today, and if, if God's uh, dealt in your heart, if you've gotten back here listening to the old master, what this passage is telling us is uh, you've got to make a decision to come back and listen to what God says. Kneel before God, do His will. It might in include uh, some steps to get right with God, to, 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 to uh, humble yourself and, and uh, to walk in the light and etc. That's uh, 1 John 1. But point, friends, is simply for all of us in these days. Which master are we listening to? 
Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for this passage and how it teaches us the four conditions of the Christian life or the life we can be lost. Uh, listening only to sin, we can be saved. A new master, we can backslide, listen to the old master again. We can get right with God and experience revival, go back to the new master. And help us to, to really identify which, where we are today and, and what steps we need to take, if any, to get back to revival, back to uh, listening to, uh, to your voice. So work in our hearts. We'll thank you in Jesus' name.